You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don McGregor. Hey everybody, Don LaGreca with you here. The Thursday edition of Game Misconduct. We finally get a chance to talk to the great EJ Raddick. Usually do it on Monday, but there's a lot going on this week. I'll leave it at that. And we were able to finally nail it down. How are you, buddy? I'm good. Let's leave it at that. Let's just Let's leave just it. Leave it at that. Yeah. None of your damn business. How about that? How about no. that? <laughs> no, we're only kidding it. My end, really. I hopefully nothing on your end. So, no, you know. all it is is just the dentist. I had a dentist appointment on Monday, and then my wife had a, des- had a dentist appointment on Tuesday, and I had to watch the kids. And that, so, really, <laughs> the reason I wasn't telling you because it's not interesting. <laughs> so, there you go. You go. <laughs> but I guess the I way I put it made it seem like something. Oh man, we got two great uh, third round series here, both even. At a game apiece. So let's I, let's go to last night. I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to look at this as, wow, that's a great blue line for Vegas, man. They get a lot of production out of their blue line, which is always a good thing. But can you also look at it and say maybe they need a little bit more from their forwards? Yeah, you could. I mean, listen, they built their team more around their defense. I mean, they're really fit down the middle of their team, Donnie, and you know from talking to me over many, many years, you know, I think your top centers and your top 4D, I mean, your top two centers, your top 4D, and your goalie is kind of the spine of your team, and you build everything around that. Vegas has done things differently, maybe by necessity, because they're an expansion team, and they have they had different a different way to kind of put things together. You know, William Carlson is was their number one center, now he's kind of their number two center, Chandler Stevenson, you don't really look at as a number one center, but he's a good skater, and he's between two good wingers in Stone and Cacioretty. He's kind of their number one center. And then Stevenson last night is a late scratch. And so now, you know, Peter DeBoer is scrambling. He started the game with Nick Waugh as his number one guy, Then he, and he subsequently moved him back and switched him with Kolazar into that third role. and You know, like, that's not an area of strength for them to begin with. And then with Stevenson out, it makes it even more so. Now, they have some really good wingers. That line that was really from that original year of Smith, Marcheseau, and Carlson is a really good line. But, you know, they are guys that, you know, you can check them. You can, you know, uh, and Marco's got a big defense. They kind of stay inside the dots. They don't chase. And so... To your point, yeah, you know, Vegas gets a lot out of Petrangelo and Theodore and Martinez, uh, you know, Holder to some degree. Uh, You know, White Cloud jumps in. They activate their D. When you watch the game, they are jumping in all the time. So they play a little differently because of that. But without Stevenson now, that changes things and makes a thin group of centers even thinner and maybe a little bit easier to play against. So, uh you know, that will be a challenge. And the Montreal Canadiens, Donnie, I don't know what it is. There's a little bit of a hex here. John Tavares hurt in game one, didn't play the rest of the series. Second round, Mark Shifley, 
takes a, makes a bad play, gets suspended, doesn't play the rest of the series. And now Stevenson doesn't play in game two. We're not sure what his status is. But these are the kind of injuries that alter the course of a seven-game playoff series. So we'll have to monitor that to see how Stevenson is moving forward. All right, let's talk about Jeff Petrie. That was just a scary situation with his eyes last night, right? I mean, I, I, I don't even know where to begin as far as, like, seeing something like that. But also, you know, they're a different team when he's in the lineup. Oh, there's no question. No question about it. Um, the um, This is, uh, you know, when they, they, when they turn things around, Donnie, in, in game five against the Toronto Maple Leafs, Dom Ducharme realized, he just kind of said to himself, I'm not going to let my back-end defensemen beat me. And by that, I'm just not going to use them in a lot of situations. I'm going to really spot them. When I do use one of my five or six guys, I'm going to put them out there with one of my top four guys. I'm going to ride those top four guys. They're all big, strong guys. They're going to defend the middle for me, and that's what we're going to do. And they really, from that point on, they won seven games in a row. And then Petrie gets hurt, or they won six in a row. They get the last game against Winnipeg without him. First game against a tougher opponent, Vegas, they lose. And then they get him into the lineup last night, and they play some games in the warm-up. They didn't use him in the regular rotation on defense. He was out there skating. We were, we thought, I'm sure the Vegas Golden Knights probably thought he was not playing. And then he ended up in the lineup, and then he had the eye situation, which looked like pink eye to me, but apparently his wife went on Instagram and said it was some other issue, but apparently there's, not, there's no pain associated with it. It just causes all this redness in the eyes. But all that said, with the bad hand and with dealing with that, he um, he played very well in the game. He ended up having an assist. And, and let's face it, if they're going to win this series, they need those four, those top four, Weber, Petrie, Edmondson, and Sherratt. They need those guys to be playing. And uh, it's a big boost that they were all yeah. together back in the lineup last night. And I want to get your thoughts on this. I brought it up the other day. I don't think we've ever seen anything like this in sports before. Because, listen, Montreal's still limited with their capacity, right? They're still at 2,500, correct? Uh-huh. That's what I, as far as I know, that is right. the case. So, I, listen, uh, we've we've seen like no, like non-sellouts of the playoffs, but we're, but we're talking about getting to the third round or conference final. You're talking about playing in full buildings with atmosphere. And I don't think there's ever been a situation where you're in a series. I mean, even going to baseball where the Marlins don't draw, the Rays don't draw, but they get this deep in the playoffs, they will fill the building. Like, how is that yeah. going to be for the players to go from the atmosphere of Vegas and you're watching the other series with the Islanders and the Lightning and the buildings having atmosphere to go to a place that's going to have 2,500 people in a building that holds over 20,000? Like, I don't think there's ever been a situation like that before in the history of sports. Yeah, the, to go from one to the other, right? You Like last year, we're in the bubble. There's no fans. So it's right. all the same for everybody. Um, yeah, I don't remember in my lifetime, I've watched a lot of big events, a lot of sporting events, been at a lot of sporting events. I don't recall that ever being the case. But I would I would suggest to you, Johnny, that that would probably favor the Canadians because they have been doing this recently. Now, Vegas has had a lot of games this year where there weren't people there, but not lately. No. And so, and Montreal, by the, oh, by the way, Montreal started out great in both games in Vegas. They started out really good for the first 10 minutes in game one. Couldn't score. Flurry was great. Started out terrific 
in the first period of game number two. Actually played well the whole period. Outshot Vegas 12 to four. Had two goals, and they ended up using that to uh, to end up holding on to the three two win. So Montreal has started better to begin with. I'll be curious what the start looks like in game three, as you point out, with that building in uh, it was much fewer fans in the building, and how Vegas as the road team and the team that has been playing in front of all these fans for a while, for a while now, a little, you know, maybe a month plus, how it may impact their start. They have to start better, period, and now they're coming into an unusual situation where there's less energy in the building. Yeah, just very strange, and that'll be the game, uh, you know, coming up tomorrow, Pivotal Game 3. We got a Pivotal Game 3 today out on the Johnny. island. Yes. I hope to interrupt because I do want to say one other thing about Montreal Vegas before we make the switch. Philip Deneau, I mean, when you really watch guys closely, you really get to appreciate them. Philip Deneau was lights out good defensively last night. You know, people talk about him as a can silky candidate, and you could really see why. He, he must have taken 10 or 12 faceoffs in the last 10 minutes of the game last night, defensive zone draws. He won most of them, even ones that are on his weak side. Uh, I just thought he was dynamite in the game last night. Really good back-checking, really good. Stays in the right place in the defensive zone. Really, really impressed with Philip Deneau's performance last night from a defensive standpoint and all the little things that it takes to win games. So I just wanted to give that little shout-out to Philip Deneau because, boy, he was uh, an important piece of the puzzle last night. And that's that's an easy thing for an, like an average fan to miss, right? We always look at the stars and the goaltending, but it, it's those those are the players that make a difference, you know. And, and they don't show up on the stat sheet because they don't score hat tricks and they don't they don't have a ton of points. But they, yeah, those are the those, listen. Those are the guys. And when you're talking about you know, especially in the first two series. Uh, where you've got a lot of firepower to have to concern yourself with, you know that that that's the that's the difference between winning and losing. No doubt, no doubt about it. He's uh, he was terrific, and you know even a guy like Tyler Toffoli, we know him for scoring goals. He made a great defensive play with about three minutes left in the in the third period, a diving deflection to stop a really good chance for Mark Stone. So those are the things. Montreal's got a lot of veteran, smart veteran players on their team, and they were able to kind of hang on and lock it down last night. So uh, this is going to be very interesting, especially if Stevenson is out. I thought it was already going to be way closer than people thought. If Stevenson's out of the lineup for any long stretch, boy, that's going to be a challenge for Vegas. Yeah, this has really just been a, a fun run for for Montreal, and and now it's a series, right? Now, now we're, we're even going back to Montreal. Should be. A lot of fun. Similar situation going to the barn tonight. But let's go back to game two because I kind of miss NHL Live in these moments, right? Because, boy, would fans be complaining about the officiating from game two. And and, and, <laughs> and, and I, I listen, I, we've always had the same stance that you don't let a call be the determining factor, right? But obviously, a too many too many men on the ice not getting called is such a big moment, right? Because it's a one-one game, second period. Not only does it they score a goal, but if they catch it, the goal isn't scored, and the Islanders get a power play. Already having scored a power play, but it's a big moment. But you could also make the case that the Islanders got the power play goal under uh, ill-gotten gain because that was not a goaltender interference on point. He was clearly pushed in. So, 
Uh, I, I'm not going to sit here and complain that the Islanders got jobbed or the Lightning got jobbed, but uh, but I really felt that the officiating played a role, and you don't like to see that, especially this deep in the playoffs. Yeah, I think the uh, I think it did. There's no question. I mean, I don't. It's hard for me to blame the official for calling the goalie interference penalty. I mean, the guy goes flying right in to uh, to Varlamov, so much so that he's removed from the game for a, for. A, for a bit, and the Islanders at a disadvantage, right? They got to put their backup goalie in, even though Sorokin is really good and played well in the short stint that he was in. I believe he made six saves. And it's really official on the ice. All you see, you know, it's hard to see and determine the level of the push because sometimes guys get shoved in there and they don't make any effort to stop just because, and just because you've been pushing. You know, I watched Point's feet, and I don't think he really was able to, you know, to do much there. So I would tend to agree with the people who think that it, it really should have been, shouldn't have been a penalty. However, like, he did never turn his skates to make the stopping motion that you would make. So, you know, it's playoff hockey. Guys get shoved. They just keep going. And if you're a ref, it's not a reviewable play. And people will say, well, they saw it on the scoreboard. Well, that's not the rules. I mean, you know, you have to call it what you see. And you're worried about the temperature of the game because the goalie just got run and he had to be removed. So I can understand why the referee would maybe miss that call or error on the side of, I don't want this game getting out of hand. And the Islanders were able to take advantage on the power play. And, you know, even in a too many men on the ice call, I can remember, Donnie, when I, when I go to the cup final, especially if I'm not involved with doing the actual game, I will sit there and I just... I just chart the people on the ice the whole game because I want to know who's on the ice and if there's any changes, and I'll just watch that. And I can remember I was in, it was Pittsburgh, Detroit, I believe it was 2009, and it probably was one, maybe game four, but, you know, I'm charting, and I'm, all of a sudden the Penguins have six guys on the ice, and they had six guys on the ice, Donnie, for 30 seconds. Right. Literally, 30 seconds. And, you know, afterwards I talked to the Red Wings about it, and, like, Mike Babcock and the coach said, said we were screaming to the refs. Cause it was a, I was hoping the Penguins would score so that you could have that, you know, that still shot of, like, six Penguins all huddling, you know, after you score, right? Everybody comes together to congratulate each other. And then you could have the still shot and go, all right, one, two, three, four, five, six guys. Because <laughs> it, was, it was really a bad miss. And... You know, so it happens, and that's what happened in that circumstance the other night. But I would say this about that particular play. The Islanders had things under control. Matt Barzell just made a bad read. And instead of uh, just staying put in the middle, he tried to go attack Kucherov, who was already covered, leaving the middle open behind him, and that's where Pilat slid in and scored. So I don't think the extra attacker had a huge you know, made a huge difference there. I think that the problem was a player made a misread, tried to do a little too much, and created an opening behind him. And Kucherov is such a smart player, he found Palat, and Palat scored. So, you know, that's how I would look at those two plays. I thought the officiating on the whole of the game wasn't terrific. Right. But that's the way it sometimes, and you've got to kill the penalties when you uh, get them, and you've got to try to take advantage uh, when you have power play opportunities. And, I thought, quite frankly, the Islanders in the game, two things happened. Tampa played way better. They put more pressure on the Islanders, and the Islanders made forced and unforced errors in the game that led to goals against them. So that was that was it. So 
game three, I think the Islanders have to tighten up. They played a near-perfect game in game one. Tampa wasn't as good, didn't pressure them as much. Tampa is now on their game again. The Islanders will have to make sure that try to limit the forced errors and certainly don't commit any unforced errors. If you do that, we'll have a good hockey game and it'll be, they'll have a chance to win. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun and much completely different than Vegas. Tampa's got nothing offensively out of their blue line until game two when two of their goals were scored on the blue line. But just how interesting is that, that you've got one team in the conference final that's really relying on getting scoring from their blue line and the other almost getting nothing? Yeah, it's weird, too, because like last year with a, with a pretty similar group of players, the Lightning, I think, had 17 goals from the defense, and I think Hedman had like nine or so. I mean, I'm not exactly sure on the numbers, but you know they got a lot of goals from their defense. I, I think it's more happenstance this year. I think that teams are always looking at tape. They're probably trying to limit those opportunities from the blue line from Tampa a little bit more. And so maybe that's part of it. But, uh, you know, as soon as we start talking about something, Donnie, as you know, all of a sudden, you know, we get the other side of the coin. I mean, we, we started talking about, oh, Tampa's not getting any goals from the D. And there's Jan Ruda, of all people, cranking over the blue line. And then uh, Hedman scored one. So, you know, again, I, I didn't. They're winning. They're in the third round of the playoffs. So, you know, if they're getting eliminated, you'd say, okay, you know, okay, this has been a big factor. But despite the fact they weren't getting goals, they were getting points, they weren't getting goals from the defense, they were still finding ways to win, and they got a couple they broke yeah. through the other night. So, I mean, the Tampa Bay Lightning are loaded from, from, from head to toe, and they're going to be hard to deal with no matter what. And that's why I say, I go back to the same thing for the Islanders. They just can't. You know, Matt Barzell comes into the D zone there, and, and Matt has made a lot of strides this year, and he's been kind of having a terrific playoff offensively for sure. When he comes in the D zone there, he's got to stop up and protect the middle. And there was a play in the Montreal-Vegas game last night, late in the game, where Phil Deneau stayed home, he stayed in the middle, puck came through, he was right there to get it and flip it out of the zone. So those are the little things that make a difference in the game. Don't overcommit. Protect the middle of the ice because that's where everything happens. Yeah. By the way, 10 goals last year for Hedman in the postseason. 22 points overall. Just one goal so far, but the same amount of assists, 12. He's got 13 points, so it's not like you're getting nothing out of Hedman. But, yeah, 10 goals last year through four rounds. And so far, after two games in, in round three, he's got one. But as you said, they're still you know, right there. Uh, to repeat as Stanley Cup champions. All right, um, your thoughts on Gerard Gallant? Uh, really good hire. Experienced coach. Has you know, was in Columbus, then he was in Florida, then he was obviously in Vegas, had a great run there, took the team to the Cup Final. Kind of surprised that he was let go in the matter that he was. Uh, did a nice job with Canada after a very tough start and with a, a little bit of a different roster. But a guy that I think relates to players, he's a former player, he was one of those guys that played in a lot of different situations in the game. He was a tough son of a gun that was yeah. in the battle. And I, I, you know, and I, and I think he's learned as a head coach. I mean, we, I had Anson Carter on our show the other day. Mike Rupp is, all, is a regular, obviously, at the NHL Network. Both those guys had brief times playing for for uh, Gerard in Columbus, and they, you know, they both said the same thing. I mean, he's obviously a lot different coach now than he was then because he's had all these experiences, and 
you know, he comes into a group that's got a, real, a lot of talent and a great opportunity for him. They've got to figure out some different things. They've got to maybe different people, but I think uh, he's someone that's got a lot of experience, and I think he's a really good choice of the guys that are out there. I mean, uh, Roddy Brindamore is staying in Carolina, apparently just re-signed a three-year deal today. I think the Rangers are probably aware that he was out of the mix because he would have been somebody of interest for sure. Yeah. And once that was the case, they settled in on Gerard Gallant. I think he'll do a, you know, I think he'll do a terrific job. It's just going to be up to Chris Drury and company to uh, put the pieces in place. Uh, you want to do a couple of tweets? Let's do them. All right. Yankee and Penguins says, Hey, Don and EJ, if Price can win seven more games and takes the Habs to the Cup, where do you think he should rank of the all-time goalie list? Uh, well, he'll be high on. I mean, when you when you win a Stanley Cup, he's got an Olympic gold medal, he's got a World Junior gold medal. Um, you know, he's he's going to be a Hall of Famer, and probably going to be a Hall of Famer anyway. Uh, but you know, it, it takes him way you know well well up the list, right? When you win that Stanley Cup, it takes you well up the list. So uh, you know, I don't know if he reaches the Hashik Wah. Level, but uh, he's pretty darn close because he's done everything else. So uh, he's been really good. And I thought in the first two games here against Vegas, one of the things that he's done well, particularly in game two, was you know he's been able to make saves and then hold pucks. And you know, and when you're in a crazy building, it's good to stop the game if you're the goalie and get your oh, yeah. reset and uh, allow them to. Uh, you know, to start fresh and not have scrambles, not have second and third chance opportunities. Vegas during the year, by the way, for whatever reason, you would have thought they would have been better at it. They were one of the worst teams in the league at coming up with second and third chance opportunities. So he shuts you down, and, uh, you know, you get a chance to reset in the D zone. So he's a terrific goalie, and I'm really, I was thinking about him watching him last night, Donnie. I'm really happy for him that he's getting this opportunity in his career because, I mean, let's face it, he's no kid anymore. And the last no. time he was in this situation, he got hurt and he wasn't able to participate. So I'm sure he's, he's thrilled to be healthy and have a chance to, to make it to the, to, the, to the Cup Final and maybe win a Stanley Cup. Now, when you think about it, you go back to 2010, Montreal goes to the Conference Final, but they're not riding him, they're riding Halak. Right, he ended yep. up losing his job to the backup goaltender, and then in 2014, Kreider runs into him in Game One. He's out of the series. You know, they end up losing yep. that series in six. Could it have been different had Price been able to be healthy in that series? Maybe he goes to the Stanley Cup Final. So, you know, he's he. Yeah, and we, we were robbed too, Donnie. We were robbed of a great series between Lundqvist and Price. Right now, we're getting one this year between Price and Flurry, but those great goaltender matchups—they don't roll around every yeah. day. Dustin Tokarski was the guy that uh, ended up being the goaltender and, oh. and you know, played well. Uh, but, yeah, that would have been that would have been a fun series. And now he's healthy and playing well, and I'm not sure. You know, I, I don't think they're as good as they were in 2014. But, hey, they keep proving everybody wrong, right? And But still, we're a long ways away. They're not even halfway right now. But it has been a pretty special story what they've been accomplished there. On that note, Tommy uh, EJ wants to know, besides Hab fans, do you think the rest of Canada wants to see them do well since they're the last team from their country and want to bring the cup back up north, or does the dislike for the rivalry overtake wanting a cup for Canada? 
I would think, well, first of all, there's a lot of Montreal Canadiens fans throughout Canada because they were the franchise in, you know, in the NHL. Forget about in Canada. They were the franchise for, what, a century? I mean, <laughs> they won so many Stanley Cups, and they had so many great players. I mean, when you think about the Bellavos and the Rocket Richards and the, uh, you know, the Lafleurs and, and, and go on down the line. I mean, they've had so many great, great players, Hall of Famers. Um, so there's a lot of Montreal Canadian fans throughout Canada. I, I would say this. I would say there'll be it's the usual split, Don. Right? I mean, there'll be some people who are who are fans of other teams that are more like, yeah, I think I can get on the Canadians bandwagon for this. We haven't won a Stanley Cup since 1993. When oddly enough, the Montreal Canadiens were the last Canadian team to do so. And there'll be those who, as we see here in the U.S., will be rooting feverishly for anyone but Montreal. Mm-hmm. And we'll want to see them eliminated as soon as possible. So I think it's an individual fan decision. But I do think, you know, that there will be many fans that will kind of jump on board for yeah. this kind of, uh, kind of very unexpected run, if indeed it continues. And because the North Division this year, I mean, everybody, nobody thought that much of it. Count me in that group. I didn't think that much of it. But when you get into the playoffs, it's a little bit different. And the Montreal Canadiens, when you look at their roster... They are built to play in the playoffs, particularly if they keep those four defensemen healthy. Yeah, there's that, that, that's for sure. And listen, there's something different at play here than in any other sports scenario, and that is, is French Canada versus English Canada. It's been a thing going back to Rocket Richard, right? This is Quebec's tried to secede from the Union for years, right? So there is that angle of it as well. So. Um, I, I, I think I could see everybody in Canada getting behind them. I'm not sure anybody in Toronto will, but there, you got to throw that in as well. There's always been that separation between Quebec, French-speaking Canada, and the English portion of the country. And, and I will say, as an outsider to that, you know, from you know being in the states, you know, talking to Canadians from uh, different provinces, they, you know, there is a little bit. There's an anti, you know, there's an anti-Quebec anti-French kind of sentiment from some people. And again, I'm an outsider to that. But I would only say this. Some of the greatest players in the history of this game are are natives of Quebec and of French Quebec. When you think about Mario Lemieux and uh, Guy Lafleur and go on and on down the list. The Rocket oh, yeah. Richard. Um, so for me, I don't I don't play that game. <laughs> no, I, I, I um, but, but I'm not condoning no, it. And it's, but it's a I thing. Know, I know what you're saying. I, it is a thing. It absolutely is a thing. And like I said, I just never try to play that game of stereotyping anyone because you know there's there's hard nosed players of all kinds and all from all places, and there's also guys that are a little less than uh, hard nosed, let's say, from all places as well. Oh yeah, so. <laughs> And and I don't think it, it, it it's more along political lines and sports lines that it, it's not a racial thing to me. I think it's just that hey, there's a lot of details we can't get into, but you know, from the riots in '55, Clarence Campbell, you know, suspending Rocket Richard for the entire length of the regular season in the playoffs and losing out on the scoring title he never had, and the riots in Montreal. There's a lot that go. It would be a great documentary for sure. So right, let's get another tweet. 
Um, but well, this is the one for many different people, and that is: um, Did the Tampa Bay Lightning circumvent the cap? Uh, no, they didn't because the rules are in place. The Chicago Blackhawks had a similar situation with Patrick Kane, and I believe it was 2015, maybe. And he did not play the last 20-some-odd games of the season, and uh, they were able to use that cap space to add players. Uh, you know, the New York Islanders this year had an injury to Anders Lee. They were able to add players. Um, you know, he had a hip labrum uh situation i believe it was that was the injury and surgery now could he have played in the last two three games of the season maybe um but the but the injury itself was very legitimate he had a surgery and that's surgery that takes time to go through that process to come back and uh so the rules as they are written right now no they did not other teams do the exact same thing when guys are hurt they go out and trade for players and that's it. I mean, that's all I would say. I mean, they were they benefited by a star player having an injury that they were able to add, keep certain players. But the fact remains, though, they had to play the entire season season without a top what four or five player in the league. Right. So you know, so yeah, I can see. Listen, if people want to change the rules, let's change the rules. But as the rules are right now, no, they didn't circumvent the cap. That's just the rules, and they were able to to use that space to do other things and keep guys there and, you know, Kucherov comes back and plays that. But like I said, I'm not convinced in any way that he could have played more than the last couple of games right? because of the nature of the injury. And, you know, I'm going to take them for their word in terms of the medical thing. We know he had the surgery and we know what kind of surgery he had. And so there you go. That's my two cents on that. And finally, uh, Sal says, Jeff Petrie's scary bloodshot eyes were insane. Is this the craziest appearance you have seen in a sporting event? Well, it's got to be up there. I mean, you know, I played a couple of men's league games in in tough conditions, but I don't know, you know, I don't think we want to go to that. No. So, uh... But just seeing something like I, I guess what what Kurt Schilling's bloody sock I guess if, if you believe it was blood and not ketchup. Come on, joke. <laughs> I had a had a cut split. Give me a break. The, uh, anyway, I mean, come on. The, uh, the, but yeah, that was a little bit. It was weird. Luckily, his wife went on Instagram and kind of diffused the situation because like nobody knew what was going on with him. And I immediately thought, well, he's just got pink eye. But I don't know if you could play in that situation in the world we live now because pink eye is catching. Yeah, yeah, it's contagious. You know that from having children. So, uh, so I don't know. Apparently, it was something something similar to that, but not that. And it looked way worse last week. But apparently, there's no pain attached to it, and it's just that you don't look great. And didn't matter. He had a bad hand. He had weird eyes. Still played a real good game. So, you know, good for him. But it was definitely a weird-looking situation. I, I, I don't remember who it was on Twitter. I don't even know if it was anybody like verified. It might have just been a fan or something that I follow that tweeted out. You know, everybody's wondering what's wrong with his eyes, what the injury is. You, everybody knows what the injury is. It's upper body. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> it's no, there's, there's, no mystery. <laughs> there's no mystery. That's what it is. Yeah. 
Hey, upper body. Well, I'm glad we were able to get together, man. This was a lot of fun. I know you got a busy day. You got lots going on. NHL now, four to six Eastern on the NHL Network. And enjoy. You going tonight? Uh, no, I am not. I'm doing the show between four and six in the studio. Uh, last week, or I guess it was ten days ago now, or so, when Boston was in, they sent me out there to do the, uh, you know, to to kind of be remote. For, the, for our broadcast, and it was a lot of fun. I mean, I got to interview, you know, one of my all-time favorite, John Tonelli is my guy. Yeah. And I've become a little bit friendly with him over the years, and he's just a terrific, terrific guy. So I got to interview him, got to interview Bobby Nystrom again. Just wonderful people. And also got to interview Matt Olson, who I hadn't seen in a while, still playing okay. in her. Still chasing, uh, he's chasing an American League championship now. And really a nice guy, and so it was really nice to see Matt again, and so many great fans, you know, and to be in a full building, and you experienced that as the Rangers season went on. It was the first time that I was there with that many people, and it was wonderful. That's all I can say. I felt so blessed uh, and reminded of how lucky we are to do what we do and talk to a lot of great fans and took pictures with people, and it was awesome. So uh, yeah. I'm sure the Coliseum will be revved up again tonight, and uh, it's going to be a heck of a game. Tampa Bay, boy, they're really good, and that's why yeah. they're the defending champs. So it should be a good game tonight. All right, buddy. Enjoy it. I'll talk to you soon. All right. You got it, Johnny. All right. That is the great EJ Raddick. usually joins us every Monday, but we are able to get him uh, for a Thursday here. So the game tonight, game three out on the island. Islanders, the Lightning Series, even at a game apiece. The game's going to be on USA tonight. So I know you're going to be in the habit of going to NBC Sportsnet or NBC. It's going to be on USA. Matter of fact, the next few games for both sides are going to be a on USA, so don't uh, get lost in that. And usually, I find like I don't I don't know where USA is. I have Direct TV, and you figure I'd know by now, but you got to look for it. But uh, should be worth watching. And of course, we get to Friday back in Montreal, Canadians and the Vegas Golden Knights. That could also be seen on USA Network as well. Okay, we'll be back with you again on Monday. We'll have EJ again. We'll be deeper into these third round matchups. So we'll talk to you then. Want to get in touch with me at Don Lagreca? Hashtag Game Misconduct. This was the Thursday. Edition of game misconduct this is the game misconduct podcast with don mcgreca